We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Striking Gold, your 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. My name is Rob Lauder. I cover the 49ers for all of you fine folks on the other end of the speaker. This episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. Today, we're going to talk about the 49ers matchup, an up-and-coming matchup against the Cincinnati Bengals, returning back to Levi Stadium after a two-game 0-2 road stint for the 49ers, unfortunately. Sorry to bring that up again, but we will we will touch on it a little bit. But hey, if you think things are bad for you as a 49ers fan, just think of how must it, how how it must be to be a Buccaneers fan that just watch a Baker Mayfield Harold Mary fall into the end zone untouched with a essentially unguarded Chris Godwin standing right next to it not looking for the ball. So I mean, obviously things have been have been pretty pretty drab in, in 49ers land over the past couple of weeks. But just put yourself in that position and know it could always just be a little bit worse, knowing that a game winning hail mary fell just a couple feet from a wide receiver's feet who didn't even bother looking for it. He actually did look for it at like the very last second. Like it would have been been impossible for him to even put his arms out in, in time to catch it. But it fell two feet to his right and wasn't touched by anybody. He would have been like almost catching a punt. But Godwin decided he didn't want to look for it. I I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. All right, so obviously the news of the week. We can, we can get into the 49ers. We can move beyond that because it's not like anybody associated with the 49ers has any right to laugh at anybody else's situation right now. So I apologize for just, you know, going down that road, but I literally just turned off the game and hopped on here to record for you guys. And so that was the last football thing I saw was Chris Godwin. Not looking at a hail Mary that landed right next, right next to him. So hmm. anyways, Brock Purdy 
the news of the week was that Brock Purdy uh, actually, during the loss against the Vikings, suffered a concussion. Since we were last on here after the game, the, the play has been discovered. It was on the 49ers first. I don't remember exactly what quarter it was. I want to say it was probably like third quarter. Um, early fourth quarter at, at the at the latest. Rock Purdy uh, went for a quarterback sneak, the first of two in a row, and he tried to go over the pile, and in doing so, was crushed by I don't I didn't see who the Vikings defender was that came up to meet him at the top of the pile, but was crushed by Purdy was crushed his head. I mean, it was you got to see it. It was it was pretty bad. Uh, his head instantly like you know pulls back towards his body and then flies off to the left and he gets kind of shoved down the pile. Uh, it was pretty violent looking. Uh, he did suffer a concussion. The good news is Purdy is, is in what some have assumed are the final stages of concussion protocol, given he is a limited participant in practice. There was video from ESPN's Nick Wagner, um, him running a boot, running around, throwing, uh, not running in a boot, running a boot play where he must leave the pocket and throw the ball downfield. Just being very clear. Um, moving around, if I would have recorded this yesterday, I would have said the odds were pretty good that we were about to see the Sam Darnold show for the first time this year. And I was going to talk a considerable amount about how, you know, we thought that this was going to be a fairly normal season when it comes to 49ers quarterbacks and possible drama and talking points and ridiculousness. But now we were going to get to see Sam Darnold, which we still may. Let me be perfectly clear. We still may. But I'm just slightly encouraged by the fact that all that may get put off for another week. And it looks like there's a solid chance that Purdy will play on Sunday at Levi Stadium against the Bengals. That is not a report. Don't aggregate my feelings over here, but... It did look good. Um, I saw, I can't remember his name. I need to remember his name. There's a, a 49ers fan that is also an actual doctor that does quite a bit of tweeting. I'm also now looking at another replay of that Hail Mary where they're talking about the fact that pass catchers are just straight up like being tackled. It's weird. You know, like, and they're talking about the fact that like, how is none of this flagged for defensive PI? And it's, I don't really know, to be honest. I don't know why they'll call it. Why are defenders just allowed to mug pass catchers? Is it because my my assumption would be that they all have a fair chance at the ball so they can all kind of like do whatever? It's just a little odd, you know, that that a pass is being thrown. And and you know what I mean? There's, There's three people that could possibly catch it. I'm assuming they just say, look, we can't call... PI when when 18 people all have a fair shot at the ball at once you know it's it's a weird play it's a weird play so Purdy is moving forward in his recovery and like I was saying there is a 49ers fan on Twitter and I cannot remember his name and that's on me uh that that it's speculated that Purdy was in like stage five of six and now essentially just needed to be approved um, by a couple of different doctors to make sure that they felt like the 
symptoms and whatever damage was caused because you know it's you don't ever want to make light of a concussion they are incredibly common in football but that doesn't mean they're not serious so it's obviously he's got to go through his paces doctors have got to say okay looks like his symptoms have passed he looks like he's recovered he passes whatever test they give him and then you're out of the concussion protocol uh brock purdy is not that yet but the fact that he was practicing and moving around is a good assi- good sign for his availability. It in no way means he's going to play, but it looks like he's moving in the right direction. So that's good. And again, like we were going to go down this whole road of here comes Sam Darnold, the guy that Kyle Shanahan chose over Trey Lance. It's a big moment for him, uh, you know, because if Darnold were to play, and I still want to talk a little bit about it because there's still a chance that he could play, but if Darnold were to play, this would be – Far and away, the best situation he'd ever been in 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 his career, going back to the Jets and the Panthers, um, and now with the Niners. I mean, every criticism that's been levied against him could be, I don't know, at least minimalized if he were to start for the 49ers and all of a sudden look serviceable. And, and he could anybody could point to the fact that, you know, look at the players he's played with, look at the coaching he's had. He finally gets into a good situation, and now he looks like a real NFL quarterback. And then there'd be a whole another group of people saying he only looks like a real NFL quarterback because he's in Kyle Shanahan's system. He's a system quarterback. You know, you you could you guys you heard it all already. Like, there's nobody that needs to tell 49ers Twitter about what somebody could possibly say about the 49ers starting quarterback because we've all heard it. It's it is what it is. So you know, there was this whole road that we could have gone around, gone down with, with with Sam Darnold if he plays, and if he does play, then we may get to go down that road. You know, you got the jokesters out there that are like, "Hey, what if uh, Sam Darnold comes in and just absolutely balls out? Is he uh, is he going to Brock Purdy, Brock Purdy?" And you know, whatever. I don't even want to indulge it. Like, I, I'm not even sure I have the have the the intestinal fortitude to stomach that those conversations again you know what I mean like just even thinking about going down that road with quarterback talk in in that way just crushes my soul my my podcasting soul like do really we really have to talk about a 49ers quarterback competition and uncertainty at the quarterback position for the 49ers you know what I mean like I just I'm not even sure if I can do it I think I would just kick myself back in my chair and let my feet point towards the ceiling before I you know, I just give up. I just give up. So hopefully that's not the case. Uh, but if Brock Purdy does play, or if it is Sam Darnold, there are still other injuries the 49ers have to worry about. Worry about. Trent Williams, uh, the 49ers starting all, all-star left tackle, is still not practicing. That doesn't mean that he won't play. If, if there's a player in the NFL that would be perfectly fine without a week of practice, it's Trent Williams. Uh, it's also a, you know, I, I think, uh, Kyle Matson mentioned it. I hate the fact that my computer goes to sleep while I'm recording a podcast. I am actively doing something on my computer. Don't go to sleep. Anyways, I think with Kyle Matson on the Candlestick Chronicles podcast, uh, which you need to check out, by the way, those are my friends and they do a good job. Uh, and we were just laughing about a moment they had on the podcast today where <laughs> Kyle was just trying to create discourse about him thinking George Kittle scored the touchdown against the Bengals. And Chris was actively looking something up on his computer while Kyle was saying that. And Chris was essentially ignoring Kyle 
Kyle was trying to move the conversation along. Chris, for a little bit, wasn't having any of it because he was just on a different planet, and it was hilarious. You go watch the pod on YouTube and see if you can find the part I was talking about. It was it was funny. I want to post it on Twitter, but I just think that there's some things that should be left left to be discovered uh, naturally. So, anyways, I don't even remember what Kyle said now and what I was going to refer to because I'm so easily distracted right now. Hold on, going through my my paces at the moment. I don't remember. Uh, I know I was talking about quarterbacks. Um, no, talking about Trent Williams and. Kyle Shanahan seemed optimistic that Trent Williams was going to practice. The fact that he didn't practice on Thursday isn't exactly a great thing. Um, he said that Nick Wagner of ESPN was was optimistic he was going to practice. And then they made a joke about the fact that Nick would be might be upset with them for saying that and then him not practice. And now that word has worked its way onto this podcast as well. So shout out to Nick Wagner and uh, possibly him being upset with both of us um, if Trent Williams doesn't end up playing. But again, no one's reported that Trent Williams is going to play, but the fact that he missed Thursday's practice is not the end all. Oh, what Kyle Madsen said was he he had heard or thought that part of the reason the 49ers weren't going to force the issue with Trent Williams last weekend, even though Jalen Moore subbed in for him okay, was the fact that this game was being played on the horrible turf that is the Viking stadium. And it's like apparently the last of a dying breed of turf that is going to be replaced after this season. And now that I say that, I guess we can take a little bit of solace in none of the 49ers getting injured in that game, at least significantly. Uh, there were no injuries that, that really rippled into the week. So that's good. So um, the 49ers as of right now are without Trent Williams. Debo Samuel will not be playing as his uh, hairline fracture in his shoulder continues to heal. Um, they're going to reevaluate his status after the bye week. So whether or not, whether Brock Purdy's playing or Sam Darnold's playing, the one thing that I'm assuming that's going to happen that I've kind of started to feel strongly about that can't happen is the against the Bengals, the entire load of all of the offensive success being put on one Christian McCaffrey. I just don't think that can happen anymore. Um, Against the Vikings, I believe he was on the field for 100% of offensive snaps in some capacity. He had 15 carries and three catches, which is not crazy. But you're talking about kind of a guy who's quickly become the focal point of the offense. And he has to be available and near 100%, as close as he can be to 100%, when the 49ers start to eat closer to the postseason. So Kyle Shanahan has to do some load management right now. I know why he's not doing it, because the 49ers are in games that they simply can't lose. And even though they've lost two of them, at no point, you know, it's kind of something in a much more uh, infinitesimal way that I deal with, you know, in my middle school games is I have players that'll come up and be like, coach, can I get in? And I'm like, uh, we, like, we're not, this game is not locked up. Like, we're not. Uh, far enough ahead or winning to the point where I can put in players that I don't consider my starters that I don't feel like give us the best chance to win score points, make a play on any given play. And I know that's how it is for Kyle Shanahan and, and his feelings on Chris McCaffrey. He doesn't feel like he can take him out. He's become an integral part of his offense and whether he's getting the ball or not, every time he's on the field, the defense has to dedicate 
significant assets towards making sure that Christian McCaffrey does not beat them on that play. So whether or not he's giving now, if Kyle Shanahan wants him on the field and he's just not going to give him the ball and he's going to give him reps that rest that way, that's, that's a little better. But at the same time, again, you just have to make sure that he is ready for the postseason. I mean, the 49ers are still far five and two. They're still one of the better teams in the NFL. They still need to have their sights set on, you know, later in the season and they just can't drive Christian McCaffrey into the ground. And whether it's Brock, a, 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 you know, a, if Brock Purdy's playing, he's not injured. The concussion is passed. So there's that. But if Sam Darnold's playing or if Brock Purdy's playing and they have to just throw everything on Christian McCaffrey's plate again, you're talking about a guy that has scored in 16 straight NFL games, which is a great stat, but it also speaks to his usage. They've got to find a way to just dial back the CMC usage. And that doesn't mean that Christian McCaffrey's not even going to have not going to have as big of an impact as a game in the game, but they've got to find a way to limit his touches. They've got to find a way to get JP Mason more involved. Who's looked good in pretty much every time he touched the ball. I think he's averaging like five and a half yards per carry. Elijah Mitchell got one carry and he only gained no yards, <laughs> negative one to be precise. I mean, it's just, it, it can't always be Christian McCaffrey. It's just, I mean, as Kyle Shanahan can say, yes, it can be until he's no longer available. Now, injuries will happen in football. They could limit Christian McCaffrey's touches, and he could still get hurt, but they've got to make that an actual focus, at least in my eyes. You cannot put it all on Christian McCaffrey. Another kind of interesting turn of events throughout the week. Let me pause really quickly to take a drink of this uh, Kirkland Signature Diet Green Tea with Trister's flavor. Okay. That was not a plug. I'm, I wish I were sponsored by Kirkland. I'm eagerly awaiting the release of the Kirkland signature. I've I've read on the interwebs, which means it's true, that, that Kirkland will be coming out with not their wedge set, not their putters. They're going to be coming out with a driver and a set of irons as my computer goes to sleep again, um, which I will be eagerly awaiting. I've been meaning to get my golf game going again. Uh, once this football season ends, which I only have essentially a week and a couple days left. Speaking of football season, man, we are here, and I just I can't even can't even explain to you how much it means to be here. When I say we're here, I mean you're in. I'm in Fresno. I'm looking at the weather app, and we've got the highs for the rest of the week are 70, 70, 68, 70, 74, 77, 75, 72. Like we, it's here, folks. Hoodie weather is is nigh upon us. Spooky season is our spooky day is less than a week out. The temperatures have fallen. The hundreds, hundred degree days are a thing of the past. 90 degree days are a thing of the past. Like I feel like, you know, the Egyptians that have been just been freed. Now I don't, I don't feel like that. They, they had it. They went through a much more uh, joyful experience. I can promise you. Um, but I am just happy. I'm elated. Let's just say that. Okay. So, you know, anyways, Kyle Shanahan and Steve Wilkes. Interesting dynamic going on right now. Kyle Shanahan in his press conference on Wednesdays, you know, basically touched on Steve Wilkes' decision to do an all-out blitz uh, and basically leave his corners in man coverage. You know, the, the shittiest thing about that decision, and I feel a little bit bad for Steve Wilkes. And I know you guys will at least be able to relate to this. I, I don't like the call. I think it's poor situational football. I think it's there's not much 
that excuses a play like that at that moment in a game. As a defensive coordinator, situational football is like your job. You're coordinating everything. This situation is like where you live. You're in it. But on that play, they did pressure Kirk Cousins. And it's not like Kirk Cousins gave a shit about pressure all day. He was dicing up the 49ers left and right. So there is that. And Kirk Cousins essentially threw an interception on that play, on that call that everybody hates. You know, Jarvarius Ward had his man covered, locked down, and had position on a ball that essentially flew right into his breadbasket. You know, this is why I feel bad for Steve Wilkes because everything about that play worked up until the catch point when Ward had the ball ripped away from him, you know, deja vu in reverse by Jordan Addison. But, uh, like, you know what I mean? Like, other than that freak incident, I say freak even though it happened earlier in that game when Chavarius Ward ripped the ball away from Jordan Addison, everything had worked <laughs> up until that moment. Like, the play call worked. The only problem is, is you know, it didn't work. And Addison ripped the ball out and just trotted into the end zone for one of his two scores and one of his six catches or seven total catches. So I feel a little bad for Steve Wilkes that everything about that play worked. Travis Ward should have had an interception, but he, you know, our lives were in his hands and he had butterfingers. And Addison just said, I'll take that and I'm going to go score real quick. And that is what happens when you uh, run man coverage on an all-out blitz. You know what else was uh, man coverage in an all-out blitz was uh, the pick of the stick. If I'm not mistaken, I believe it was an all-out blitz. And what makes that play so damn cool was Navarro Bowman was blitzing, got picked up, realized he was not going to make it to the quarterback. Matt Ryan threw the ball. Tremaine Brock, if I'm not mistaken, who essentially in that situation was not going to give up outside leverage. The cornerback kind of ran like a hitch towards the inside. Brock broke on it. Broke up the pass, knocked it up and over himself and right into the hands of a Bowman who had, because he couldn't succeed on the blitz, just knew he needed to run towards the ball, ran towards the ball. It went up and over the head of Brock and um, the rest is history. So it was the same type of play. It just worked out. And and, and by all by all means, the Steve Wilkes call should have worked out, but you had a freak thing at the end of the play where, yeah, you know what I'm saying. So. But Kyle Shanahan straight up said in the press conference, he knows he messed up. He lost track. He said he lost track. Steve Wilkes lost track. I don't know if he means Steve Wilkes lost track of the time or the situation or both. Neither of them are good to lose track of as a coordinator. Uh, Kyle Shanahan said you can't do that. It's not an option. You can't do a zero blitz on uh, you know at the end of the half with like 15 seconds left. And uh, and then he said, I, I I think you guys will talk to him tomorrow. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like. And then Steve Wilkes comes on today on a Thursday and essentially gets out ahead of it where he knows he's about to be grilled for this call and puts out an initial statement about, uh, you know, I, knew, I know I made the right call. He essentially said, we're on to Cincinnati, which is funny in and of itself. And, uh, you know, then the very first question after that was about the, was about the call. He was trying to basically answer all the questions he could possibly get in one statement, which he did not do because after he made the statement, listening to it, I wanted to answer a question about the call, but he acted like, you know, like he had just been fired over that call and, 
or you know it was it was crazy it, it was like that entire building knew that for lack of a better term he fucked up and he addressed it as such and then he just really said after that when uh, tim Calcomi asked him kind of why the call he he just said i don't want to get get into specifics why and that was that and uh so in terms of like overall cohesion, confidence, I don't know, just general morale between Kyle Shanahan, Steve Wilkes, and just his own demeanor, it seems like there's not the most confidence in Steve Wilkes right now. I mean, for Kyle Shanahan to be so definitive and outspoken about the fact that Wilkes screwed up means two things. One, Kyle doesn't care what Wilkes thinks, and he's going to say what's on his mind. Or yeah, he might have that type of relationship with Steve Wilkes where he feels like he can just give it to him straight. And that wouldn't surprise me if that's the way it is. But Kyle Shanahan did not uh, pull any punches when it came to how he felt about that call. And Wilkes tried to get out ahead of it as if, you know, he was making some type of PR statement. And, uh, and you didn't get much more than that. So you did get some comments from Wilkes, though, talking about He's still getting used to working with these players. He's got to let these players make plays, not force the issue. And there's no denying the fact that since Wilkes has taken over the defense, they've still had their moments, but there's there's nothing about the 49ers defense right now that looks how it did last year. I mean, you're talking about a defense that has like five or six total sacks right now. And I think Nick Bosa probably had that by himself last year. Let me me pull up my just forgot to pull up one of my stat pages here it's kind of like just the general stat page from ESPN I just like it because it has offense defense special teams everything so if you go to sacks I mean this 49ers defense they have a lot more sacks than I was getting him credit for Javon Hargrave has three Jake Drake Jackson has three but he's disappeared since Nick Bosa only has two and a half Fred Warner two Gibbons one Hyder one Greenlaw one Gregory one Armstead, a half. Jesus. You're talking about a defensive line that between its its primary players probably has $70 million into it. I mean, what is that, like half the salary cap? I, I mean, I don't know. But there's no denying the fact that since, since Steve Wilkes took over this defense, they just aren't the same. Total cap. Liabilities, $197 million. I'm just trying to, okay. All right, yeah, so $200 million in salary cap. I'd say one over one-third of the team's salary cap is dedicated towards a defensive line that is clearly underperforming in all aspects, along with a defense in and of itself that has the same amount of talent it's always had. It doesn't look like the players are getting worse, but somehow they're putting... Now, I'm not going to take all the onus off the players, you know, like... Nick Bosa doesn't necessarily look like he's getting home as often as he used to. Neither do some of the other guys. But there's no denying that when since Steve Wilkes took, took over, it's, it's just different. Nick Bosa is irrelevant. Kirk Cousins looks like a superstar. The defense is clearly struggling. Can Kyle Shanahan imprint some sort of Robert Sala or D'Amico Ryans onto Steve Wilkes? I mean, Kyle Shanahan's not a defensive coordinator, but I guarantee you he could be one just from what he knows and what he's done around Sala and Ryan's. And maybe Shanahan can start 
suggesting to Wilkes, here's what Ryan's did. Here's what Sala did. Here's the way we looked at this. Here's the way we looked at that. Because what a lot of people get forget is Kyle Shanahan is the head coach. He is the entire team is his responsibility. So obviously he's an offensive guy, but I think he knows quite a bit about defense and um, can probably help Wilkes acclimate faster because I mean, we're in late October. So Wilkes mentioning that he's still getting used to these players and how to use them is not okay. Like there's no time like the present for Wilkes in this 49ers defense. So Obviously, Kyle Shanahan is, he knows knows there's a problem. Wilkes knows there's a problem. The defense knows there's a problem. And we'll see how they adjust from here because they're going to have another big test on Sunday against a Bengals team that is coming off a bye week when you compare it to a 49ers team that is coming off two tough physical losses um, on a shorter week. So I think that it's fair to say that Steve Wilkes is under the microscope. I'm not going to officially give him the hot seat designation yet. But there obviously needs to be some changes in the 49ers defense that just made Kirk Cousins look like an absolute stud should probably make some adjustments, right? You know, I'm trying to think of the most, not politically correct, just kind way of saying like, this shit's got to change because it's just not working in, in, in many respects. And again, you've got the by Bengals who are not playing good football right now, but I think everybody in the NFL knows what they're capable of and they're coming off a bye week and the 49ers on a shorter week. If Kirk cousins did what he did with the Vikings wide receivers, why can we not assume that Joe Burrow is going to do something worse with the bevy of pass catchers he has with the Bengals in Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins, Jamar Chase, one of the best receivers in the NFL, Joe Mixon, who has no problem catching passes out of the backfield. Now, I think that the Bengals' offensive line is not as good as the Vikings, which seemed like it was solid. But in terms of just raw offensive talent, the Bengals possess everything the Vikings did. Maybe Kirk was just absolutely in his bag in that Vikings game and was determined to show Kyle Shanahan that he should have never traded for Jimmy Garoppolo. And Kirk Cousins could have been the 49ers quarterback all this time. And maybe the team would have won in the Super Bowl, or maybe not. I'm not sure exactly where the where the if 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 the if the Vikings or and or the 49ers no if the Vikings called and wanted to trade Kirk Cousins straight up for. Brock Purdy, do you think they do it? I'm assuming the answer would be no, almost based entirely on Purdy's contract and and that Kyle Shanahan might not think Cousins is an upgrade over Purdy. Now, one thing I forgot to talk about, completely glossed over, by the way, speaking of Brock Purdy, are we willing, do you think that any of... Brock Purdy's fourth quarter mishaps could have could have of course, but do we think they 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 might be might have been contributed to his concussion? You know, because you're talking about a quarterback. Whoops, I for, I didn't realize I was on the Cincinnati Seattle game, but I mean you're talking a, before the fourth quarter for Purdy, he was having a really good game. 
And I'm trying to find like his stats leading all the way up until the third quarter. I mean, even in the third quarter, Purdy was five of six for 92 yards and a touchdown. 158.3 rating. That is perfect. I wish I wish these stat pages would show me what his total stat line also looked like at that point. You know, not just from the third quarter. I want to see what his stats looked like all the way up until the third quarter. Could I have opened all these up and added? Yeah, but I'm an art teacher. I don't give a shit about math. Um, but then you go to the fourth quarter. Just the fourth quarter in and of itself. After that concussion took place. Purdy was 5 of 11 for 58 yards. Zero touchdowns, two interceptions. One of those interceptions was one of the weirdest throws. The was the weirdest throw we've seen him make on that. I believe it was Jawan Jennings. And he just threw it not anywhere close to him. I don't know, five, seven, eight yards out in front of him, straight into the hands of a safety. Now, the second interception, you know, there's 30 seconds left. He's scrambling. He's just trying to fit a throw in there and, and make something happen on a last-ditch drive. So that one, I'm not really, I'm not, you know, I'm not really banging the table that both of Brock Purdy's interceptions are somehow excused. But it was just wild how quickly his play transformed and again a part of that is it's just trying to make something happen especially on that second uh interception but i think that it's fair to say that a concussed brock purdy would not be as good as an unconcussed brock purdy if you can if you can you know if you can admit that, because what's crazy is they ran they ran the unsuccessful quarterback sneak. Um, does it say time with seven minutes and three seconds left in the fourth quarter? This is all fourth quarter, right? Yep. Okay, I found it. With seven minutes and three seconds left in the fourth quarter, they ran the first unsuccessful quarterback sneak, and that is the one where Purdy got concussed. They ran one more quarterback sneak, which was successful. He might have even got hit on that play. I don't know. And then the very next play, he throws that interception to Juwan Jennings. And again, this is not some attempt to excuse Purdy of the throw, but for that throw that can easily be attributed as the worst and weirdest throw we've seen Brock Purdy make. For that to be the very next play, after we now know he suffered a what looked like a significant concussion, but the fact that he's progressing through the seemingly progressing through the program, um, you know, is a good thing. But the next play after those two quarterback sneaks that will just bundle into one, you know, he throws that interception, and then the next time he gets the ball, he throws that interception. So it's like. And up until that point, uh, I mean, okay, so I can do very quick math. And, and I don't want to, I hate the idea of me just doing this quick math while you guys are sitting here on the podcast and you're probably screaming and saying, why did you just, why did you just do this before you hit record louder, you idiot? Um, so six of Purdy's incompletions came in the fourth quarter after that quarterback sneak. If you go to Purdy's stat line, he only had nine incompletions. So six of them came after that concussion. So before that point, Brock Purdy, before that concussion, Purdy was like, uh, let's minus six there. 
he was like 22, uh, 23 of tw- um, no, like 20 of 23. We'll just, we'll just say that he pretty was like 20 of 23 for 230 yards. How much did he throw in that fourth quarter? It couldn't have been for much. Cause he, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So I was right. Like 20 of 23 for 220 yards and a, a touchdown. You know what I mean? Like that is a just woof, a complete 90 degree turn in how he was playing a 180 even. Yeah. We'll turn this bitch all the way around. So I think it's fair to say that perhaps some of those struggles could be attributed to the dude that got knocked out on the field and kept playing. You know, that's, that's something. And it's, again, I said it earlier before I was even talking about this concussions aren't meant to be taken lightly. I have had a concussion one time in my life. I don't know how many of you listening out there have had one. Um, but every year uh, I coach football, which is nine years running, you have to do concussion training at the start of the year. I know every single concussion symptom there is to know. I know the steps you take based on every single concussion symptom. And so I'm in uh, Magic Mountain in Vallejo or whatever city it's in. I don't know. On the way to Los Angeles. I always know I'm near uh, Magic Mountain, Six Flags, because the traffic starts to pick up and I get all pissed off. Um, I'm on the ride called X2. And if you know anything about that ride is you sit in the seat and the roller coaster moves where the track moves, obviously, but the seats independently rotate. They're on a, you know, on a program that rotates them wherever they want you to be rotated towards at any given part of the ride. Well, there's this part of the ride where there's a huge drop and you are sitting almost straight up and you're dropping like down beneath your butt. So you're like, it's as if you're just sitting normally dropping straight down. Well, as that was happening, I am like leaning forward and looking down so I can see us drop. I love that shit. So I'm looking down and the roller coaster actually, you know, if you're looking down, the roller coaster actually dips and, you know, pulls up, I guess you could say towards my feet. So it's like going under itself and you're hanging under the tracks. Well, right as the roller coaster pulls up and uh, the seat turns you back on your back to where your back is now to the ground. You just basically lean back. Well, I remember I'm leaning forward and looking down and all of a sudden the ride levels out and my seat flips back and all of those things combined. I whipped my head against the back of the seat so hard and it was like that harder, but harder padding that, and I instantly knew I had a concussion. I instantly got a headache that felt like it was wrapping all the way around my head, like evenly from the, where I hit my head in the back all the way around right above my eyes, kind of like a sinus headache, just instantly felt like I had a, a donut of, of headache, a ring of headache around my head. Uh, the ride uh, all of a sudden was almost too loud to handle sensitivity to noise, sensitivity to light, uh, headaches, vomiting, um, you know, dizziness, uh, the inability to kind of grasp simple, simple concepts are all, all very quick symptoms of a concussion, you know, blurred vision. And I instantly had like four or five of them. I, I had a roaring headache. The ride was just so loud. It was annoying the hell out of me. Um, the sun was way too bright. I put on some sunglasses. Um, my vision was in and out, not in and out as in I couldn't see, but it was blurry. 
And I was messed up. And I went on one more ride, kind of just denying what had just happened. I was like, no, nah, no, nah, I'm good. I'm good. I, I've only been on like two rides. I'm We're going. I went on that like katsu ride where you're like hanging around like Superman. And it was fun as hell. But the whole time I'm like, I should not be doing this. This is, I feel horrible. That point I started to feel like I was going to puke. Not because I was sick, but because my head was just not okay. Um, and, and I didn't end up riding any more rides. In fact, I had to kind of put myself in an area where I wasn't too close to like Superman, because if you've been there and you know that ride, it's super loud as that thing screams down the track and goes up. So long story short, even though I've already made the story long is, I mean, in that, I couldn't imagine going through what I was going through and then just calling another play and running it and throwing to a dude that's 20 yards down the field, uh, you know, in less than two and a half seconds. So I'm, I'm making a very strong assumption that uh, Purdy was going through some serious shit when he threw that first interception. The second one, I, I mean, I don't know how much his symptoms had subsided by the end, if at all, um, but it, it's serious and it sucked. And there are way worse concussions than what I had. And um, I don't, you know, I don't know how bad Purdy's was, but for him to immediately play after suffering that, I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty nuts. So before we get into just, I don't know, just, I mean, we've already been talking Bengals, but let's talk prize picks real quick. Um, if, if you didn't know, last week I got into the win column on prize picks. It wasn't in as big of a way as it should have been because for whatever reason, Brandon Ayuk got zero targets in the second half. Going into the halftime, Brandon Ayuk had 57 yards, and I my entry was that he would have more than 65. So he was eight yards shy of that mark and then didn't get any targets in the second half. And I absolutely refuse to believe that Brandon Ayuk is blanketed. That guy can get open in a phone booth. So, you know, the, that's a problem. That's how you lose football games right there. You don't have a Debo Samuel, and then you never target Brandon Ayuk in the second half. I'm not just yelling at them because that would have been my fourth, you know, green light on my prize fix, and I would have went from winning like 2.5% to like five times, 2.5 times to five times or something like that. Not even two and a half times. It's like one and a half times, you know, but I did win. I did win. So we're back in the win column. We're going to get in the win column again. Okay. Here's my entry for this week against the Bengals. I think that Brandon Ayuk will have more than four and a half receptions. That one seems easy to me. Although I was just bitching about Brandon Ayuk usage, but he did have more than four and a half receptions against the Vikings. I'm also thinking that George Kittle is going to have more than four receptions. This seems like one of those games where George Kittle gets going I think he's been underutilized. I it I don't understand what's going on with the 49ers and their relationship with George Kittle and I'm not I, I, this is not a bad thing. He did have 5 catches for 78 yards, but it feels like he should have more than that. Like especially with Debo Samuel out. Dude, it's, it's George Kittle, the guy that for a, a brief time held the yardage record, all-time yardage record for tight ends. Like the dude can be a part of your passing game. He should be a featured member of it at all times just to take some heat off Christian McCaffrey and some heat off Brandon Ayuk. And, uh, you know, especially when Debo Samuel's not out there. So I think George Kittle gets more than four receptions. Then we get over to the Bengals side. I think that Joe Mixon, Cincinnati running back, is going to have less than 76.5 rushing and receiving yards. And then I think Jamar Chase, Cincinnati wide receiver, is going to get more than seven and a half receptions. And I don't necessarily, it doesn't mean he's going to go off. He very well could because 
I mean, if Jordan Addison is going to go off against the 49ers, Jamar Chase can too. But I think he's, I think they're going to be going to him a lot. Uh, let's go to, I mean, if you're looking at the Bengals' recent win over the Seahawks, uh, Jamar Chase had six receptions, which would put me under, but he did have 13 targets. So I'm assuming, and, and what's crazy is Joe Burrow is like not pushing the ball downfield. I think it was Kyle on Candlestick Chronicles that mentioned this, like Burrow's like, like almost 70% of his passes are going like within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. So I think Jamar Chase is going to get targeted a lot. So those are my entries. If you don't remember, Brandon, Ayuk more than four and a half receptions, George Kittle, more than four receptions, Joe Mixon, uh, less than 76.5 rushing yards and Jamar Chase, more than seven and a half receptions. Now price picks. If you've heard me talk about it, if you're not on it, you need to get on it. It's daily fantasy sports and it's made super easy. That's my favorite part about it. It's super easy. You're picking between two and six players. You're picking which stats you want to more or less. And then, you know, if things go your way, the winnings are going to roll in. Like I said, what I like best is the fact that it's super simple. You can make your, it takes like less than a minute to make your picks. Like if you wanted to, and if you're not going to stare at them and second guess yourself, like I do, you can, you can have your picks done in less than 60 seconds. And there's, I'm confident that you will do better than I have done. Okay. So there is that. All you got to do is go to prizepicks.com slash gold, G-O-L-D, and use the code gold, G-O-L-D, for a first deposit match of up to 100 bucks. Again, prizepicks.com slash gold. The code is gold. Do it. Do it now. Do it. Hey, do it. Do it. I haven't seen that movie in forever. That's like a movie quote within a... Never mind. I'm sorry. All right. So prize picks, get on it. Uh, I'm excited about my prize picks. I'm hoping uh, I can uh, I develop some sort of a winning streak. How crazy would that be? So we are we're coming up to the Bengals, and again, the Bengals are coming off a bye week, and the 49ers are on a shorter week. They played on a Monday night. So, I mean, there's some serious stuff working against the 49ers here. Um, against the Seahawks, it was an ugly game. Joe Mixon had 12 carries for 38 yards, only managed 3.2 yards a carry. The Bengals' offense as a whole and on the ground only averaged 3.1 yards a carry. Joe Burrow completed 24 of 35 passes for only 185 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. Um, I mean, that's a lot of passes. The 35 attempts to only throw 185 yards. I mean, that is very similar to what the 49ers did to Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins threw it 45 times, and he still hit 370 yards. So maybe I, I stop right there because 370 yards is a lot. But what I did think was weird is that Kirk Cousins threw it 45 times, completed 78% of those, and all, and the Vikings only had 22 points. It, it, you'd think they would have had like 40, but they didn't. But anyways, that's no denying that Kirk Cousins ripped the 49ers into shreds. This is what it is. Um, Bengals are a weird team right now, man. They're, they're the weirdest 3-3 three and three team out there. They should be good. They're not playing good. Now, in the beginning of the season um, – Bear, uh, excuse me, Joe Burrow's Joe Burrow was playing hurt, and he didn't look good. It was clear that he was playing hurt, and they've they've rebounded from there, but they're still not really doing anything. That is, it's weird. It's that's threatening, and that doesn't mean you know they barely lost to the Ravens. They got worked over by the Browns. They barely beat the Rams. They got worked over by the Titans, which is weird to look at. And then they they put a beating down on the Cardinals, and then they were in this weird, ugly 
like jab fest with the Seahawks and they won 17 to 13 in Cincinnati. So just a weird team. And there's, there's, it's hard to make anything of it. You know, and I don't know what version of the Bengals, the 49ers are going to get, but to me, if you're looking at an offense that has Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd, T Higgins, Joe Mixon, they threw it 35 times against the Seahawks and they only averaged 3.1 yards per carry. To me, that tells me if the Bengals are going to beat you, they're going to beat you through the air. And the 49ers simply cannot let the same thing happen to them that happened against the Vikings. Joe Burrow cannot throw 45 passes for 378 yards. Steve Wilkes cannot call a zero blitz with 18 seconds left of the half. Traverius Ward cannot get a touchdown ball ripped out of his arms. Christian McCaffrey cannot fumble the ball inside the 10-yard line. The 49ers have found some really interesting ways to shoot themselves in the foot, and they're going, they're, they're coming up to their bye week, and I just feel like the 49ers would feel a hell of a lot better going into the bye week at 6-2 and two than 5-3, and three, and you've lost three in a row. You know, the 49ers are past that phase in their NFL season life cycle where they lose games. At this point in the season, we're used to the 49ers kind of sputtering out the gates and then just figuring it out and winning like eight straight. Well, they've, they won five and now they've lost two in a row. And somehow, for some reason, winning, losing three in a row just feels a hell of a lot worse. So to me, this almost feels like with the bye week following this week's matchup, it's almost like you're either going to get this wave of panic that the 49ers have now lost three in a row and they just, you know, the word pretender is going to be getting thrown around like crazy, especially if Purdy plays and has another bad game. If, if Sam Darnold plays and the 49ers don't win, I think the doomsday is a little less than the fact that the 49ers couldn't win with their backup quarterback. You'll hear a lot about that, but and how much Sam Darnold is or isn't worth and whether or not Trey Lance would or wouldn't have won that game. doesn't matter, whatever. It's fucking whatever. But this, I mean, this is a win that the 49ers simply have to have. They're desperate to have. They've lost two in a row. They're severely underperforming. Talking about a team that absolutely, absolutely destroyed the Dallas Cowboys and then has just looked pedestrian since. Like they won the Super Bowl against Dallas and then just didn't know what to do with themselves. Statistically, the Bengals, they don't really offer anything that the 49ers can handle. I mean, they're 22nd in complete on offense. They're 22nd in completion percentage. They're 32nd in yards per attempt through the air. They're 28th in passing yards, 27th in passer rating, 9th in sacks allowed. So the offensive line hasn't exactly been porous, but that's where the 49ers are going to make their money. The defensive line is going to be their moneymaker. In the running game, they're 25th in yards per carry. They're last in total rushing yards. They have one rushing touchdown on the season. Like As weird as it is to think that a Joe Burrow-led offense with Joe Mixon and all those names you've heard me say twice already is somehow this bad, but they are. And the 49ers defense looking to rebound after two bad performances can't be the reason that Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati offense gets back on track. That just simply can't be the case. And, you know, it's just it can't. The, the, the defensive line has got to get home. 
The linebackers have got to come up and stop the run, and quarterbacks, cornerbacks have stopped has got to stop getting cooked, or at least making Kirk Cousins look like a superstar, which was just wild to see. And I don't, I'm no Kirk hater. I I think he's a middle tier quarterback in the NFL. Somebody should be paying him every year until he declines, but he doesn't look like how he looked. And I don't know if that's the players. I don't know if that's Steve Wilkes. I'm sure it's some combination of the two. I don't want to pin blame on everybody. You know, defensively, there's not a whole lot there that the 49ers should be concerned about either. They, um, they're 19th in yards per attempt allowed through the air. They're eighth in completion percentages. So they, they're doing all right in terms of how often they're allowing quarterbacks to complete passes. Um, they haven't allowed a whole ton of pass yards, but maybe that's because they are 28th in yards per carry on the ground, 17th in rushing touchdowns allowed, 25th in first down percentages allowed, 18th in passing touchdowns allowed. So like dicing them up through the air has not exactly been a thing for the Bengals so far, but they could be had on the ground. They could be had in the air. Uh, Ryan Tannehill against the Bengals two weeks ago or two games ago for them um, completed 72% of his passes for 240 yards, one touchdown and one interception. And eh, you know, if Tannehill can have success against the Bengals, then I think Brock Purdy can too. I'm just feeling a little crazy, feeling a little risky, but again, the 49ers need this win going into the bye week six and two, the world is not falling. Everybody gets to rest a week. The 49ers as always just seem like they, absolutely need this bye week down to their core in order to just survive the season. It's a well-timed bye. You know, it's right in the middle of the season. But there's just nothing, as of right now, there's nothing about this Cincinnati team, offensively or defensively, that should contain the 49ers. But as we see against the Browns and as we've seen against the Vikings, they're just finding a way to, to lose. They're finding new ways to lose. They're finding a way to play down to their opponent. And whatever happened to the onus to me is, is on the 49ers defense. And I know that seems weird coming off a Minnesota game where the 49ers only scored what, like what did they score? 17 points last week against the Vikings. Yeah. I mean, that's weird, but you also had Purdy throw two interceptions in the fourth quarter shortly after taking a huge shot to the head. And then you had Chris McCaffrey fumbling. So they, they found a way to suck in that game. It doesn't necessarily seem like that's going to be the average, predictable, if you will. Whereas the defense, for a, a few weeks in a row now, we've or at least for a few games this season, three or four games, we've seen them just be like, I don't know. To me, they even though it was only 17 points, uh, 19 points against the Browns, that seemed like too much for that unit. Giving up 22 points and letting Kirk Cousins dice you into oblivion, that seemed like too much for this unit. You know, you you go all the way back to the Rams game in week three, right? Was that week three? No, that was the Giants. And they only gave up 12 points to the Giants, but they gave up 23 points to the Rams. You know, it's just it's weird. The defense, I think, is it's still there. It's still a solid defense. But statistically, they're just they've lost that edge that we've seen them have before. Yards per carry, they're like middle of the road. Yards per attempt through the air, they're like middle of the road. Bottom tier even. Sacks, total sacks, they're like towards the bottom half of the NFL. They're not doing anything particularly great right now, which is weird considering how many elite players are on that defense. It's borderline inexcusable 
And right now the spotlight is sort of solely on Steve Wilkes because that's for the most part, the only thing that is different going from last year to this year. So this game as there's a lot of pressure on Steve Wilkes to really put pressure on the Bengals, not in his, not in necessarily an untraditional way. Like he said himself, he's got to let his players go win. Um, there's a lot of pressure on whoever the 49ers quarterback is to move the offense down the field, score points, take care of the football. I mean, it's all this cliche NFL stuff, but it's all stuff the 49ers have been failing to do over the last couple of weeks. They're not taking care of the football. They're not scoring big points. They're not keeping drives going. They're not playing smart football. It's just weird. So, you know, with the bye week, the following week, this is a huge week for the 49ers to get right. Like I said, six and two just feels so much different than five and three and losing three and three in a row. That's my high tech deep down analysis. Six and two feels better than five and three. So what Louder said, I'm just passing the word along. You know, just analysis. Hashtag. Sorry, I had to clear my throat for a little bit. Anyways. Interesting matchup. Interesting matchup. Short week, but I still think the uh, I think the 49ers still favored by five and a half points. Uh, you know, and I feel like that's about where this game will lie. You know, I feel like the 49ers might come away with like a 24 to, I don't know, 17 wins, something like that, where it's closer than you want it to be. But given the 49ers are on a short week and they're coming off two, you know, two disappointing losses. Maybe that's that's that that gets it done and they can go into the bye week and kind of recalculate on what type of team they're going to be going forward and Steve Wilkes can figure out how to call situational football like 18 years into his career. I mean, I'm just being a hater at this point. I'm just kidding. But again, it was it was such a weird play. All right. I love you guys. Uh, again, pricefix.com slash gold. Okay, get up on the prize picks mix. Send me your screenshots. Let me know how you're doing. Let me know when you win and so you can rub it in my face. Um, thank you for listening to the pod. If you'd like to be, if you'd like to take a an extra step, whatever you're listening, whatever app you're listening to, leave us a, a five-star review. Let us know what you're thinking. And uh, But again, the fact that you're here listening is, is all the support. Follow me on Twitter at Rob underscore louder, uh, L-O-W-D-E-R. And I think that's all I got for you. You will hear from me next. I will be recording Sunday evening after the game. Uh, and you guys will hear my voice bright and early on uh, Monday morning. As always, all good things must come to an end. My name is Rob. This is Striking Gold, and we are signing out. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. 
Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.